It's April 18th, 2017, and this is Inside Out, the Naked Truth. We're coming to you from Northern California, and we're broadcasting from Lupin Lodge, where clothing is optional, but the truth is always naked. I'm Errol Strider. And I am Rochelle Alicia Strider, and we welcome you to our home in the Santa Cruz Mountains of California at Lupin Lodge. We invited you over tonight for some conversation about the human condition with all its craziness and what to make of it, sprinkled with laughter, good music, and the many voices of Errol Strider. Well, I'm one-voiced, and I'm a voice that you're going to hear later tonight. Okay, I was making all kinds of signs. Anyway, our show is sponsored by Jeremy Bede, a good friend, a sculptor, artist, spiritual brother, handsome dude, and a tango teacher professional. Mm, what a path. And Go Raw, which makes, guess what, raw food that is both nutritious and delicious. And you can check out Go Raw a lot of places like Costco even or Safeway. So thank you, brothers. Go Raw and Jeremy Bede. Tonight's phrase of the week is essentially, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, what is most essential and how would you know? I believe, for instance, that essentially we are love. Vital life force consciously expanding and deepening our capacity for connection, awareness, and forever increasing our range of choice. But others might argue that essentially we are greedy, narcissistic, self-serving, petty little beings doomed to extinction. (laughs) To this, I would say that essentially all these little self-aware beings just want to be met, acknowledged, affirmed, understood, seen, and to grow. Whatever your position, getting to what is most essential makes it possible to more effectively deal with reality and adapt your life accordingly, which is why we're going to jump into the essential subject tonight, which is luck, as usual. We're going to see if we can find out what life is all about, Hmm, essentially. And we're going to do it all in 55 minutes. No problem. (laughs) I looked up the definition of essentially, and it says, used to emphasize the basic, fundamental, or intrinsic nature of a person, thing, or situation. So I figure we are all essentially pretty immature. Just about a minuscule rung up from our reptilian brain. And though we may have potential to move to a higher consciousness, essentially, we are not there yet. But you got to love us. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you don't have to. You're under no obligation to love us or yourself, for that matter. But I would like to put in a vote for this being most essential. This is what is essentially essential. Listen. Silence. By and large, the universe is silent. If you think about it, it's mostly silent. Then there are these eruptions. Imagine how loud the gas boiling off stars is. It must be loud. They don't usually talk about its volume. They talk about the light that's being emitted. Then you bring it down to this planet, and there's volcanoes exploding and birds chirping and cats roaring, people talking and horns blowing. Out of all that crazy noisiness comes music. That is essentially what I go for, the music. Like, listen to this. This is very essential. This is a Russian version of Lord Have Mercy. 
Russian chorus from Russian treasures. That, by the way, is one guy, sings all those parts. He just goes Putting back in the on. studio and re-records it and re-records it. You just put me on, didn't you? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, essentially, you're a putter honor. I am, but we agreed that I am a brat. But speaking of brat, I just want to play you this quick clip because, well, you'll see. I think it deals with something that's very essential. Most nights when I sit in the hot tub, which I do before I go to bed, so I can sweat. Did I say hot tub? I meant the sauna. So all those nasty toxins in my body can have their way out and be free. I set them free through my sweat. (laughs) And while I'm doing that, I often listen to uh, the resistance report with Robert Reich, whom you may know as Secretary of Labor, and he's one of the leading thinkers. He was the Secretary of Labor under Clinton. You know, I know if it was either Clinton or Jefferson Davis. <laughs> I don't think it was Jefferson Anyway, Davis, okay. this is something that he said tonight in his resistance report. He's very articulate. I really admire him. Here you go. The theme tonight is Donald Trump can't manage his way out of a paper bag. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he goes on to say. I'll listen to it it later. Maybe it has essentially to do with the type of bag. (laughs) Yeah, get him a plastic bag. He's kind of a plastic bag kind of guy, wouldn't you say? I am not sitting in judgment of Donald Trump. I will judge his actions, but the person is just a person. Here's what I think is essential about that. And I was listening to a couple of integral philosophy theorists today, one of which is our friend. Steve McIntosh, and they were talking about how this holistic view of integral theory is what needs to be the context in which we deal with the problems that we're dealing in the world. We can't get there from our normal orientation, but integral perspective allows us to transcend that orientation to come at things more holistically. What does that all mean? (laughs) What does that mean? Let me ask Professor Umbridge to explain it because I'm not sure I really know. But there are the words. What do you say? Good evening. What he means, dearest Rochelle, actually, I don't know what he means, but the way I understand integral theory is that you have these shared points of view that come into life at different points along its development through evolution. A certain group has a belief system at one level when they will just running through the jungle, and then another group shows up. They're having tribal things and mythic points of view about reality and religion. And it's somewhat organized, and then you have the emergence of the individual, and then out of that you have the development of the authoritative orientation of life. And then out of that you have what we call modernism, which is the rational thought and democracy and what's made most of our lifestyle, ease of life, possible. And then you have the postmodernism. The postmodernism chaps all run through the forest looking for mushrooms. At least that's <laughs> what we think. Prefers umbrage for kind of mushrooms. The non-poisonous ones, dear. So the postmodernists, as I may put it bluntly, are the ones who are moving into rethinking how they're doing things and how all that capitalism has left us. And all of a sudden, these people are going, well, wait a minute, what about the women? And what about poor people? And what about those different races from you? And what about the environment? So this postmodern period is beginning to say, we need to take responsibility for what we are doing to it all. The essence of integral theory, my dear, is that each one of these perspectives and shared world views is valid for what it was doing. Whereas if you're in any one of them, you're more likely to make the other ones all wrong. And that's where we're all wrong, essentially. Oh, well, essentially sort of explains it is it's still a little uh but you can't do it not as comprehensive as i would like essentially speaking okay well but i i i would like to say that i think i mean i perceive the world as becoming more and more inclusive so that there isn't a separation between myself and the earth that i am part of it and there isn't even a separation between myself and myself 
so that I would take care of myself and then I take care of what's around me and I take care of you. And using all these belief systems that came before me, which I was the center of the universe. Like you watch a child, you know, I mean, the development of a child into a mature adult, because we don't have that many mature adults, so it's pretty hard to know. But nevertheless, you know, there's this, the world revolves around that little self. And as we ma- truly mature, the things that we are not the center of our universe, we're part of the universe, and, and, and not feeling like lost in that part, but feeling more as a result of being part of the universe. How does that sound? Essentially, does it make any sense? More. I think more is a big part of what's essentially, because there seems to be more and more. Like I was hearing the other day when they got, like Einstein and those guys got, that the universe is expanding. It's like they weren't even, they weren't thinking that, that it's expanding. And what I want to know is where it's going, because it's, it's, it seems to be hell-bent to, or heaven-bent, I should say, to just keep expanding. And it's like it wants to fill up the infinite, but it can't fill up the infinite because the infinite is too busy full of itself and it's infinite <laughs> and it's infinite so therefore it's forever <laughs> that's right more so here's another thing that i think is essential to get in our journey toward maximizing our experience of life is that we are so fundamentally essential to existence once we've come into it that we're a keeper that's the bottom line oh that's so nice that we're a keeper yeah you're keepers uh all of you out there i know it looks like you know death is the end you're identified with the body and all of that but basically we're all keepers once if we want to be if you don't like being kept all right go get a job do it yourself (laughs) i'm so aware of the many many ways that we create daily separation between ourselves and ourselves each other the environment the mystery and we create it because we get frightened and we feel like if we don't control everything we are going to cease to exist and so this sense of control is really creates more separation than it creates inclusiveness because I can only control just as much as my arms can carry, so to speak. And therefore, anything outside of that is an intrusion and I have to push against it. So essentially, most people that I see who are having a crisis, it's, it's about the fear of losing themselves completely. Otherwise, it's it's a crisis like a movie. You go to a movie and, oh, bad things are really happening. And that's really interesting. And, and I'm involved in it emotionally, but I'm not in it. I'm not really in it. So what is that wonderful line from the Bible? You're in it, but not of it. Exactly. Right. There's in and it. To me, that's freedom. When that I'm is freedom. It, but not of it. And And I see... Daily, I see people running around like chickens without heads, you know, practicing being so in it and so of it, so of it and not in it, and but of it and in it and of it. Enough, and darling, enough, oh, enough, darling. Let's, let's take a break from that and find our way out and, and have some just some fun, okay? Mm-hmm. And both fun and the way. Here we go.
<laughs> was King of Sin Medley, Jesus on the Main Line, with the Angels of Mercy. Thank you. Oh, Angels of Mercy? Yeah, that was from Leap of Faith, the movie. Oh, really? Hmm. I love that movie. A Leap of Faith, it really comes... To me, the essential issue here is faith and the leap of faith. And if you can't leap, you can... Uh, you can do a, what do they call it, a hop, hop, when they go over. Some kids, when you go over in the... Leapfrog. Leapfrog. If you can't leap, you can leapfrog. <laughs> and we recommend <laughs> leapfrogging. I'll tell you why. Because then you've got someone to help you leap. Because you may not be just a good natural leaper. and But if you leapfrog, you are like pushing off of this person who is generous and kind enough to be on their knees for you, providing the frog pipe part of the <laughs> leapfrog. I had forgotten all about leapfrogging. I loved to leapfrog when I was a little girl. I loved it. It was so much fun. You could cover a great distance. You really can leap. <laughs> you know, leapfrogging. And the kids would line up, you know, and, and you'd leap over them, and then the last person would leap over them, and it just keep going and going and going, and it never would stop until we got tired or we had to go in to have dinner. Here's an idea. I think we should r- arrange a time when all the uh, warring leadership proponents, like the head of Korea and the United States and this one and the Syrian dictator and his things— and imagine all these people and Putin and the Ukrainian head guy and the German and the people from South. And they play leapfrog. <laughs> it's certainly a funny thing to look at, especially. They're I taking mean, it way too seriously out there. They're, well, uh, we do take it seriously because we feel responsible for everything. I mean, my God, it's, it's up to us to make a mess. If I could jump in here, uh, we do. This is Barney, and yes, we do make a uh, mess of it. I'm not so sure that the issue is just taking responsibility. I think we're trapped in that spasm of fear. There, you look at you know the guy coming down the street, and he's got a scar on his face, and he looks like he's got a gun in his holster, and he's just coming out of the grocery store with the bags. He's carrying bags, and he's got saliva dripping down his mouth. And you and 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 his eyes are like bulging out all over because he's looking for the way out. And and you go up to him and and as tempted as as you are maybe to say, "Do you have a light?" You don't do that. <laughs> you just don't do that. See, there's something essential about the fact that you know where you can and cannot and should go. And that's a lot what's most essential about learning to live your life is learning to live. I can go here, I can go this far without bumping into something that's going to hurt. Or I can go over to this side and see if I can wade my way out into the feel-good parts of life. And I recognize, but they both got to be there so that I know how to steer. If they weren't there, I wouldn't know how to steer. What am I steering? I'm steering my beliefs, Rochelle, to, a, to, to be more consistent with the way things actually are. What is essentially the nature of life? And what is the nature of life, Barney? Well, the way I see it, the nature of life, if I could boil it down into just you know, very few words without having to consult the entire reality matrix of information that's been riddled into existence the way it is, if I could just tap into that there for a second, and I'll tell you the nature of life is exchanging, making exchanges. You're just exchanging this for that. You're over here, then you're over there. They're over here, they're over there. This slide is here that's exchanging for that thing over there. The photosynthesis is exchanging. The CO2 goes up there. You kiss me, I kiss you back. People come, people go. Everyone's making an exchange. And the challenge of life is very simple. Make the exchanges work so that the equal sign that you put between this side and that side it's for real. It stays in balance. Even though you can go off on tangents, tangents are good because then you have the challenge of bringing the tangent in balance. 
Oh, Barney, you lost me. You lost me a little while back well, Barney, there, but I'll tell you something. What? I, he lost me, too, just what, a little. What I'm aware of is, like, you know, the, the, one of the essentials of life for a, for a great, great many species is eat or be eaten. I mean, that is pretty essential, you know, like you just, if you don't eat it, you'll get eaten. And um, I think as we as we uh, elevate our consciousness, we're not as inclined to practice that as an essential for living, that we realize that we need more cooperation between the species, that it's not about eat or be eaten, but together we can be fed. Together we can build things that benefit more than just myself. So, I mean, and that's a tribal awareness but it gets it can get bigger than that then because the tribe then is a substitute for the individual but it can get even bigger than that because then it's tribe against tribe but when you start realizing there's this planet and we're on this little globe which we got to see when they went into space that we're a globe out there we're just one of those stars that are planets we're a planet but i mean you know pulsating you look at mars and venus from earth and they're just this little red dot in the sky yeah and, and they're somebody's always seeing a little blue dot and they're sky. always complaining that we got all the air and the water and all the life forms they just do nothing but bitch you got that life forms you know damn we were so close i overhear pluto talking to uh what's the other one's name mozart forgot his name pluto and saturn those two guys for example they're you know he says well you got the nice rings i mean you're like good looking that's like a an outfit the rings and and she said yeah but you got the, you got that tiny speed and that size and you're over in that orbit that's a good orbit and they have conversations like that you know i hate to burst your bubble but essentially there is no jealousy between the planets Really? Right. They don't compare themselves at all. In fact, they're just very happy having you be just the way you are and having themselves be just the way they are. You didn't know that. Well, I read it in the planet. You learn something every day. Planet manual. You know, speaking of essential, (laughs) I I was been listening to uh, Richard Feynman who was a great physicist. He's passed and he was a very great physicist and he's having a coffee with uh i want to say boyle as in boyle's law you know this other great physicist and and he's talking about what is most essential and he has a wonderful uh, attitude about it all it's very childlike and i just want to give you a, a, a little taste of what he's what he says it's about what's essential here we go rules come out that, that it evolves into such a creature that, that, that the billion years of life with its experiences has produced a thing with prongs that stick out like this and so on uh, the real there's such a lot in the world there's so much distance between the fundamental rules and the final phenomena that it's almost unbelievable that the final variety of phenomena can come from such a steady operation of such simple rules you hear that? Yeah, what are the simple rules? Well, that's that's the physics. That's what they're finding. And what I got from them is that no matter how they get to their uh, conclusions, their empirically validated scientific conclusions that they then operate there from, that those are like the laws, the rules. And... But what he says is no matter how you get there, and it, it often is very complex because you're usually starting off using the wrong method and going in the wrong direction. But once you find the thing, it, it, he says it's always very simple. Like it's just this, nature's doing a simple little dance. Boop, there it is, like E equals MC squared, which is entertainment equals movies. <laughs> Communication. I can't believe you just squared. Did that. I can't believe. Believe it. Oh, essentially, you're a clown. <laughs> you really are. Essentially, you are a clown. <laughs> well, you know, what do you think that's about? Make them laugh. Make them laugh. Make them laugh. 
And what do we get out of making him laugh? Because I love to make people laugh. It's like one of the best things ever. Or even if you don't make them laugh, at least you make them roll their eyes. Right. <laughs> right. And sometimes I've met very few people who can do both at the same time. <laughs> exactly. When you're laughing, you don't need to roll your eyes. <laughs> right. So essentially, yeah. essentially, yeah. what is essential to our life, you know, and very basic. He's right. It's basic. We need air. We need um, food. We need illumination. And uh, is there anything else that's absolutely essential? <laughs> love. We need love. If, if, if a child isn't loved, he won't survive. At or, all. No, you, we need to be held. We need to be succored. We need to be loved. We need to be, that needs this fundamental. Isn't that nourishment? Isn't that a, another form of nourishment? I don't know. You, Call it what it is. You just ask what else is essential. But I'm saying, like, we need nourishment, and I think that's part of it, the nourishment that we need. You know, because you think all animals need to be loved? All mammals need to be loved? You know, I met three mammals here on the property. We live in the woods, and there, <laughs> there was, no, there was oh, a, there's a go. skunk. And I know when the skunk's around, he makes his presence very clear. And late at night, before I do the sauna, I jump on a rebounder. And the skunk comes and just shares his fundamental aroma with me. <laughs> so essentially, yeah. he's a skunk. <laughs> yeah. And I talk to him. And I, there's deer, of course, all the time. But you know who I wasn't talking to that I've been I talked to the last few days? The weeds. Oh, you've been hacking it. I'm not hacking, pulling. There's something very satisfying about pulling those weeds, those big especially when they're big. And they got those nettles, you know, the really little sharp things, and you've reached down there and because the grass is the wet is the soil is wet, it's a great time to pull them out and it just feels so good. To each his own, dear. To each his own, yeah. Essentially, we find that which we love to do and do it. If, and, you know, we're blessed if we can do that. Uh, so often in the society in which we live, you know, not everybody gets to do what they love to do. They get to do what they have to do or they get to do. There's a lot of shoulds and have tos about what they do. But eh, eh, there's enough people that really love what they're doing. I was listening to this, a big tech thing happening this week in San Jose, Facebook. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is there. And what they're meeting for is finding new technical ways to solve problems, especially mm. technical problems. Like there was a horrible thing that was exhibited on Facebook. And one of the things is how can they, without invading our privacy, you know, having to monitor everything that goes on Facebook, how can they quickly squelch Something like that, that is morbidly sadistic uh, from getting out and sh being shown to millions of people right away. And, well, it uh, seems like they could develop some kind of technical filtering system. Everything goes through that filter, and when, when, when it picks up somebody giving you the finger or something like but that. Is that it, but is that an invasion of privacy? They have to deal with that, too. But the fact that minds are coming together to solve problems like that seems is a very good indication of how we're using our minds at this point in life because it could be there's a, there's a whole bunch of people coming together to find new and better ways to kill the people they don't like constantly yes the super bomb yeah but you know what's so important and so critical and i just read this book about these two psychologists tversky and i forgot the other one's name israeli psychologist and boy they were their relationship was profound. I mean, these guys were like so tight. Their minds were so wrapped and they came up with these great theories, which I still don't understand. But it did remind me how important it is. What's really essential is to touch a hand, make a friend.
Ridge boys, touch a hand, make a friend. Oh, yeah, may I interrupt here and say something? Because this is Professor Schnitzel, and I was inspired by that song here to come up with that strategy that I think will pull everyone together on the planet and make it all like work together in a good way. Very simple plan. You see, you have to start with something people are, are willing to agree with and uh, Almost everyone, whether they are friends or enemies, if you can get them in the same room, their chances are good that they will shake hands. Yeah, <laughs> my handshake. <laughs> And so that's where we can start the whole new world thing, with the good handshakes. And we can have handshake training. So they can have grades of handshakes and they can have class one of handshakes and They are, and then we will teach them the secret handshake. And when they learn the secret handshake, they'll be able to handshake everything and shake it all up. And then once it's shaken up, then the handshake can move to a hand clasp. And when the hand clasp is happening, essentially, that's what the handshake was foreshadowing before, so that it would make sure it would come in some time in the future. Essentially. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me get it. I think I get it. So Essentially, shaking hands can lead to um, unification of the species. Right. And the thing that I got about it is that I think people need to be confronted with this choice. Do you want to live in an oppositional world or a world that's, that's unified? Meaning, do you want to base your life on what you're pushing off and against? Or do you want to contribute your life, commit your life to what pulls us together and what unifies us? And if you're intent on pushing off as the modus operandi, meaning making others worse, better, bad, less than, more than, whatever... Then that's that, your choice. I, I think it's a wonderful thought that you could tell somebody, do you want to live? And so it creates a, a consciousness that not everybody has. I don't think people think about it. All because if you're really insistent upon pushing off so that you can come out ahead and you can survive and everybody else can die, you're not thinking about wanting to live in a... In a unifying world. I mean, because you don't see that you're going to get yours in a unified world. I just read this book called King Rat by James Clavell. And 
in this really intense uh, situation where they were in a detention camp, these uh, Australians and British and uh, American and other in Japanese-held territory. And there was this guy who was into survival, totally into survival, you know, and getting everybody manipulating everything to his survival. So when the camp was liberated, he essentially fell apart. He, he, he was lost. All of a sudden, everybody was coming together because they were free. You know, there was no opposition was, anymore within the camp. His itself. identity was totally tied up in that. Huh? Yes, and he just, he, he, he became like nothing. And I thought it was so interesting that when our identity is tied up in, in that pushing off, People are not thinking about, oh yeah, let's let's you know create union. They want to, they'll push off you. I mean, as they did with so many peacemakers in the world, you know, like, you know, don't I don't want peace. So, to me, there once again is is about the evolution of consciousness. Until we're ready to even grasp what that means, we're not going there. Well, until we're ready. One thing we can do is recognize the amazing grace that is available. touches me with a liquid embrace just at the point where I vanish from my sight. Wow. My hand reaches out, grasping, questing. Is someone there? (laughs) Grace witnesses to presence. And when I am tempted to shout, nothing, nowhere. Grace calls to me and invites me to follow suit with hearts. A handful of hearts. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. 
gives me goosebumps every time I hear that song. And this one especially. Who was singing? Isn't, it, isn't that special? Mm-hmm. Julianne Taylor, Loch Lamont and Amazing Grace. You know, that, that touches something very deep. You know, of course, we'll never know in language and thought what is essential. I don't think it's actually possible as much as we've enjoyed trying for your health and benefit tonight. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree, Father? Oh, yes, there. Well, it's always good to try to put words on that which is most essential in reality. So that if you think you put you can put a word on it, it's like putting a leash on your dog. You know, you go after the essential and you put a leash on it and you keep, try and keep it around. But, you know, it has a mind of its own, like a big dog. You know, and, and you've got a cheap leash and a big dog. And that's kind of like uh, what is most essential is. But it's good to try. And when you put these words on uh, trying to to the most essential aspect, it's kind of like a scratching its back a little bit. It appreciates it. It's like scratching its back. But it can't eat it. It can't turn it into a father for its life force. No, that's, that's something else than just your thoughts about it there. Hmm. You know what I'm saying there, darling, don't you? I sort of know what you're saying. Well, the essential part is what I'm saying is that it's going to be beyond the words. I mean, the words just can't keep up. I guess essentially what I'm getting from tonight's program more than anything else is that we don't really know what's essentially, who we essentially are and what we essentially need. I mean, we know to a degree, but not completely. And maybe it's because... What we are and what we need is bigger than who we think we are. It could be, but I am reminded of a line from Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, priest, mystic, and scientist, when he said this, Nothing is precious save what is yourself in others and others in yourself. What I imagine that, what I imagine is that there are these two circles and they overlap. And it's the part, they, uh, that little shape they make in the middle, which is kind of like a fish. It's pointed at one end and it bulges in the middle and it's pointed in the other end. And that's what's essential. It's where we, uh, wherever there's the joining up. The joining up is essentially the joining up thing when it's being its most essential self and it's conjoined with itself. Oh, my. Party time. Essential (laughs) thing. Conjoined. This is Inside Out and we're broadcasting from Lupin Lodge here on April 18th and... We've got a group coming in here to Lupin in the next week, so that's going to change things. They're coming in for a retreat tomorrow, and we're all mad at work getting our facility ready, spruced up and nice, so when they come, they'll have a good time, and it'll be a good experience for them. It's like having people over for dinner, except there's 60 of them. (laughs) Right. And within that 60, it's just very human for some of them to be pickier than others. But that's why we're here to serve. Speaking of serve, I think that's essentially is service. It's like the summum bonum of the universe. It's like, because the universe is one big service. It says, here, here's life. Be it, do it, have it. Just, there it is. It just, it serves up life. And you somewhere along the line, you kind of jumped into that stream. And it serves up Volcanoes and eruptions and earthquakes and and storms and typhoons as well as it does all the fun things, you know, and to some people, those are fun things, too. (laughs) You know that uh, they have a convention every so often, the tycoon, I mean, the typhoons, the hurricanes, (laughs) the storms, that whole list that you dropped out. It's a funny line in this book I'm reading where she's the mother uh, in this book is explaining to her daughter that she's not going to meet any typhoons 
And the daughter says, tycoons, mom, tycoons. She says, well, none of those either. I think that's how we should regard Donald Trump. He's a business typhoon. <laughs> he just comes into the situation and mixes it all up. It's like a typhoon. You know, he just stirs it all up. He'd say anything, and all of a sudden, they rush to go, oh, he said this on the Twitter. And then he says that on the Twitter, and they're all busy chasing his remarks. You know, oh, yeah. and it's like oh, he yeah. can re- make any remark, and everybody goes, Oh, remark, <laughs> remark. <laughs> He's a business typhoon. Right? I like it. I like it. Essentially, that's probably true. <laughs> uh, Rabbi, you haven't said anything about essentially. I bet you've thought about that. Essentially, I spend my life looking at and wondering what is essentially most essential. And that's what I've been doing all my life. That's what it is to me to be a rabbi. The rabbi is, walks around with a big question mark all over him. It's, it's, it's what he wears, a question mark. And it's like, what's doing? It's asking reality. And as we evolve, of course, we have more things to contribute, like Richard Feynman. Uh, I recognize him. He was from Brooklyn. I think I may have known him over there. And he was saying these things about it's all simple, and he has he has a wonderful childlike appreciation of the possibility of the universe forever exploding something new and more wonderful. Essentially, that's its job to to be like a, a fountain. It's a fountain that came out of what they call the Big Bang. I don't think it was such a big bang. There was another Big Bang in another part of infinity over on the right. And (laughs) it was a Big Bang. (laughs) And what a universe it created. They were saying 13.5 billion years. Okay, when you catch up with us, we're at 29 billion right now. Okay, but come along. Oh, that's good. So that's kind of how the universe is kind of... You know, I was just wondering about that. I thought, well, we talked about it on our show. Why did they start the universe up like 13.5 billion years ago? But I think, if I think of it as one of, of just, you know, many, many universes that are starting up and they each have their own infinity and they each... <laughs> And really, and they each like spew off different ways of uh, this mysterious reality expressing itself in form and in matter and in life. I mean, when you think about it, it's a it's really trippy that it all exists at all as it does. That it comes together in these ways that we take for granted. We're conscious beings. We're in these bodies, on these planets, breathe this air, talk to each other, make decisions. You know, go, come, leave, die. Also, there's this sense that I'm I'm constantly aware that we feel like we have to make decisions instantly, and there's a certain stillness that happens before the eruption. Before the Big Bang, the stillness takes place in which everything's beginning to lead up to the... And, and ideas like that. You know, when you have a, a, a wonderful idea, there's a stillness that happens before that idea, and then it gives birth. Essentially. Essentially. It made me think about the thing that was going to get banged, like there was this little I condensed. <laughs> well, there, what what was the bang? It was this very condensed mass mm-hmm. that you know it was all like condensed, as, as condensed as it could get. Like you know, it was an, it was like a marble in terms of its. But it's still condensing, and that's why it, it was condensed. And then, but but I'm imagining the scene in the green room before that piece of condensed reality was about to go on and explode and how it must have felt and i we had an interview with that little <laughs> condensed reality and i want to play just uh, a little bit of the interview and i uh, oh no you don't <laughs> here we are so uh here's here's what he had to say this little condensed reality when i when i asked him well how do you feel about the fact that you're, you're gonna just 
you know, be a big bang. I mean, you think you'll, you'll feel like if you're a big bang, you'll be a big shot. Aha. So it's not so much the big shot part. Uh-huh. Well, that's not how I would put it. But 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 I can sort of see your point. Essentially, uh-huh. you're saying you understand this. Essentially, you're a little nervous. You got some stage fright. No one says stage fright. Oh my guy's learning your language, Harold. Yes. Watch out. <laughs> but it was a great sacrifice to break itself up because it liked itself together. You know, it was kind of cool with itself. It was like it, it was like this condensed thing, and then it was going to like come apart. But it gets to, it got to be all these other little things that are running around reality, of which we are too, essentially. Essentially, I am aware that I know so little about the reality of life. I know a tiny smidgen of a smidgen of a smidgen yeah. about it. And I, it's I knew all one through of my those... own through my own consciousness, which is so immature. I knew one of those smidgens, by the way, <laughs> that you Well, knew. actually, I my smidgen knew your smidgen before we knew each other. It was other. the third smidgen, right? <laughs> the third one you mentioned. You know. When I when I first met my smidgen <laughs> I was like so. Thinking about well, I, I think I was really shy because the smidgens, you know, they're like the the thing, like the bong. They used to say, you know, and I'm going like I'm going to be with the bong. Oh boy, a smidgen, and I don't really know what to say. Does that have its own language, smidgenese? I mean, what what do you say to a smidgen? So I kind of walked away from it, thinking. Hmm, that's what schmidzins, I can't even say it. Until you realize you're a smidgen. (laughs) That would have put you back a bit. It would put me back a bit. What? I just said that. I just repeated what you said. And it's a style of communication. When I go back and edit the show, I often will take those out. But I was listening to John Cheese give a talk and being an interview, and he did exactly the same thing. And I thought, well, maybe it's catching. Now, sometimes you do it for emphasis, you know, to get clarity. Repeat something more than once. It's almost like you give it a specialness by repeating it more than once. Which I like. Actually, I like that. I'm like somebody left a message on the telephone and she was kind enough at the end of the message to repeat her name and her telephone number. But she changed it. It, it, That was the only problem. (laughs) She repeated it, but it was a different one. (laughs) Oh, you're so... Essentially, you're silly. I am silly. you're silly. But I'm also poetic. And here's another line I want to share from the Grace poem, because we just had Easter, and Easter was Grace showing up on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. Here's a line. Grace descends full throttle like a rocket cleared for landing with a cargo of flowing goodness when the tariffs of blame are lifted. You wrote that? Yeah, is that bad or good? No, I mean, I thought you were, you were seeing something out of the uh, grace, amazing grace. No, 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 this is a poem I wrote that was um, images about grace. You didn't say that. I didn't, you know, it's because I was thinking about something else at that time. But by the grace of God, we are back to this point <laughs> where I can f- say one more line because it's the most... <laughs> Mm, juicy one, grace, a slow curving essence just around the bend where my thoughts leave off and only my faith drives me through. Oh, that's pretty. I don't know what it means, but... I got Essentially, you are an artist, creatively moving shapes, words, body movements, ideas into newness. I love that. 
That would be the essential me. That's you. That's the essential Did you write that down? Yeah, I did. Okay, you all heard it here. That would be the essential Errol Strider. And if someone asks you, if you come up upon someone on the street and they say, I heard you listen to that program. Who who are these people? I mean, essentially, who and what are they? No, but this is you. You would have to come up with the essential me. But I came up with an essential you. Uh, Essential Rochelle is just basically giddy for life. Oh, no, that I'm more than that. I know. I know I'm that's more as than much that. as we got tonight. We'll give you a little taste tonight. And when you come back and listen to our next show, we'll give you another taste. We'll give you more taste. And it's thinking about taste. Next time you're having a good taste, think about us having a good taste with you and that we're sharing good taste. So I think. Like the professor says, after the handshake group, we should have people eating ice cream cones together, mm. all these people, and you sharing. You think everybody likes ice cream? Or something like that, strudel. I wonder if everybody likes ice cream. I bet a lot of people do. Well, I know a lot of people, but I'm thinking, does everybody like I think there's enough people who like ice cream that it could start a whole new world order. <laughs> Especially, it has. <laughs> especially when they find out how damaging sugar is for them. <laughs> They'll just bond like you can't imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, not every all ice cream has sugar in it other than it has fruit. It may be sweet, but it doesn't have sugar. sugar. Listen, do we want to end the show on ice cream, essentially, because we're coming to that time and very soon? I could end every show with ice cream. (laughs) Okay. So I think it's a plan, and it's an essential plan, and one we appreciate for its essentialness. But it is, I believe, time for us to part and leave you and thank again our sponsors, Jeremy Bede. And go raw. And thank you for the uh, little Big Bang to be guy for setting this whole thing in motion. And happy birthday, 13.5 billion. And here we go. Oh, what do we need to remember to to keep this thing going? Well, essentially what we need to remember is that resistance is what you add to pain to make it last longer and hurt more. Essentially, 